Welcome back to Sound Insight. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, Father of mercy, God of all consolation, I come before you in Jesus' name with confidence and humbled and in awe of your love for us, of your fidelity, that you are constant in your care for us. And Lord, I repent on my own behalf for all of the ways that I have fallen short in my thoughts and my words and my deeds and in my omissions. And I stand before you, Father, in Jesus' name, on behalf of my brothers and sisters who are uh, listening to this program with me. Lord, we have sinned. We have failed you. We have fallen short. I stand before you on behalf of my family, my wife and my children, each of them, all of them, my brothers and my sisters, my dad, uh, my extended family members. I come before you on behalf of all of them, Lord, and in solidarity I cry out, have mercy on us, for we have sinned against you. Give us a fresh start and a new beginning. Lord, I come before you on behalf of the wider church today. Lord, we do desire to serve you, but we don't desire to serve you enough. Lord, we do love you, but we fall so short in how much we love you. And so, Lord, again, we ask for your mercy. We ask, Jesus, that you would grant us courage and a spirit of generosity like we've never known before. Help us, Lord, to go all in. Help us to give our lives over to you and to your gospel, your gospel of salvation, of redemption that you've won for the world. Lord, I, I come before you on behalf of the wider world here in the United States, Lord. We're such a divided country, and without you, there is no way forward. Without you, there is no peace. O Prince of Peace, come and invade our country, invade hearts and minds. Lord, I, I pray for those who have lost their Catholic faith. They have uh, wandered away, floated away, uh, uh, jumped away from their Catholic faith, as well as from the Christian faith. And Lord, for all of the betrayals uh, in the church, in the Catholic Church, by her leaders, in the Christian Church, by the faithful, as well as their leaders, Lord, please don't, uh, don't uh, hold back, but come again. Come again with your mercy, your kindness. And Lord, I, I come before you on behalf of all of my brothers and sisters who have ever lived and who have dishonored you, who have rebelled against you, who have said no to you, defied you, rejected you, uh, dishonored you in, in every one of their thoughts, words, deeds, and omissions, Lord. For every soul that was at risk of hell at the moment of their death, I pray for them, each and all, and I join with the church in crying out, Lord, complete in us the sufferings of Christ in us who believe. Lord, give us the grace to take our part in bringing about the salvation of the world that you have won for us. Lord, may we, your body, share in the work of you, Christ the head, that work of redemption, Lord, not only through what we say and what we do, but by what we suffer, what we're willing to undergo for the sake of salvation, for the salvation of every single human being that has ever lived. Lord, give us the grace to pray big prayers and to live in a big way the call that is ours. Thank you, Lord. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, theology impacts spirituality. Theology impacts prayer. The prayer that I just prayed is a, it's called a fruit of reflecting upon some fundamental theological ideas that are part of our Catholic faith, part of what God has revealed to the world through Jesus Christ, has entrusted to the church, and in her magisterium, in her doctrinal teaching, has come down through the ages. And today on Sound Insight, I'm going to tease out some of the important theological foundation stones that would lead someone to pray the way that I just prayed. If you heard what I just prayed, it began, I think, with, well, it was all authentic. Everything I said was authentic. I, I meant it all. So I wasn't just trying to say, hmm, let me construct a prayer based on this theology. No, it's something that I've been pondering and feeling deeply and uh, sort of the, the themes have been lining up on the program, and I thought, you know, let me, let me dive into this. And so the first, uh, the first step of the dive was the prayer, the opening prayer. 
And it, it really has to do with understanding, or, or not understanding, because it, it's a mystery, but pondering, pondering the work of redemption, the work of Jesus coming among us as a man in order to set us free from sin and from the effects of sin, all of the suffering, dislocation, brokenness, all of the darkness, all of the evil, all of the spiritual slavery, ultimately the cutting us off, diminishing and, uh, and destroying the life of God within and ultimately leading to separation from God forever in hell. Jesus came to win the victory over all of that, that chain of effects that flow from sin, that flow from a betrayal of God's love, a denying of God's will, a rejection of God's call, a, uh, a refusal of God's grace that is part of every sin. Did you, did you hear just that? <laughs> What's involved in, in a sin? What's involved in a sin are all of those different things. It's a betrayal of God's love, who's always loved us, so we're not loving him back when we sin. It's a refusal of God's grace, for the Lord never allows us to fall into a temptation without giving us a way out. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he's always giving you a grace that is bigger than the sin that you're tempted by. It is a denying of God's will, for sure, and that's where we tend to think of it, where it's the putting forward of our own will over God's will. And it is a, it is a, a leading into those other effects. It diminishes or destroys God's life within. It leads to suffering, brokenness, the dislocation of our lives from ourselves as well as from each other, and ultimately... In destroying the life of God can lead us into a state which is a state of lostness, where we would end up being cut off from God forever. But Jesus came to win the victory, and he did. Jesus destroyed sin and its consequences. Now, we don't experience the fullness of that victory yet in our lives. Hopefully, we experience some of that victory in our lives. Some of what it means to be a child of God, that regeneration that happens through baptism, is that we experience the life of God within, the Holy Spirit, not just a thing, it's not just a thing, but it's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of the living God. It's the third person of the Trinity who comes to dwell in our hearts, and where one person of the Trinity is, the entire Trinity dwells. So the mystery of the Trinity dwelling within our hearts, the associated with the Holy Spirit's presence in us as in a temple, dwelling within us to move us, to give us the strength that is beyond what we can uh, experience on our own, to overcome things that we would never be able to overcome on our own. So this is the life of God within us. Well, what does that move us to pray for? What can we pray for? So, so there's, there's that first theological pillar is the nature of sin. The second is that, that Christ's redemption came to destroy that. That's, oh, the first pillar was redemption. <laughs> but redemption is all about being unbound and set free from sin and its effects. And the second then becomes, what did, die, what did Jesus Christ die for? He died for all of the sins of all of humanity, not just up to that point, but you know this. He died for your sins, not just the sins that you've committed up to this point in your life, but even every sin that you'll ever commit tomorrow, the next day, sadly, until the day you die. When you sin, Jesus took upon himself all of those sins. He took upon himself all of those sins. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this idea, we who live in time, we who live in time, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the reality that God is beyond time, outside time, the creator of time. He encompasses time. Time does not encompass God. We can't think outside of the structure of time and space. That is the, the, those are fundamental aspects of the human condition, is that we uh, live our lives within the construct of time and space. And so God is the creator of time and space. He is beyond those realities. So um, uh, what that means, one of the implications for that is that Jesus can take upon himself on the cross all of the sins that 
all of humanity will ever commit, not just in the past, but all the way until the end of time. All of those sins get loaded upon him. And it also means that his act, the act that he performed through his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, called the Paschal Mystery, that through that act, he can win salvation that then can become connected to your life 2,000 years later. His work 2,000 years ago can be connected to your life here, now, and today. Now, the way that we celebrate that ritually, the ritualization of the connection, the communication, the, uh, the immersion of our life in that mystery and that mystery into our lives is the Mass. At the Mass, we have, in traditional language, the unbloody repetition of the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we have this, this reality that occurs in one moment in time in our lives when we show up at Mass in that moment. There's an inbreaking, or there's a drawing forth into that moment of time, with the time of Christ and, and his death on the cross. And, and how can that be? Well, God is beyond time. So he has the ability to bring about this intimate connection between the moment of Christ's death in the past and our action in the present. Does this make sense? And it's a mystery, right? It's a mysterious thing, but it's one that you're familiar with. One that we are less familiar with is the way in which our present action is connected to to others in the past. We, we've just seen how our action in the present, or even in the future, our actions, we're thinking now our sinful actions, are connected backwards to Christ's death on the cross. So Christ's death on the cross took into account all of our sinful actions. Okay, you get that. Okay, so hold on to that. Now we're going to reverse it, and we're going to say, what about our holy actions? What about our loving actions? What about our actions that are done in accord with our call as members of the body of Christ to join in Christ's work of bringing about salvation in the world? Okay, so we have a part to play. You have a part to play in bringing about the redemption that Christ won in the world. You are a member of the body of Christ. And so we ordinarily think of that as your vocation or your mission. So your identity, you're called to be a saint. Your mission or purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Christ into the world, the gospel of the kingdom, in order to spread the work of redemption, to set people free so that they too can be part of God's kingdom. And you get that. You get that in the present. Okay, I'm going to be part of this mission, this ministry. I'm going to support this mission. I'm going to go take, undertake this beautiful work of mercy and justice. I'm going to go do this work to share Jesus Christ with the world. All of those things we get. I'm in the present. This work is part of my life. It's present in front of me. I'm bringing all of that work of spreading the gospel and proclaiming Christ and his saving work into the world so that it can touch people's lives that are right around me. Okay, we got all of that. Now, let's bring together those pieces that we have so far, and let's draw them into another moment, okay? Let's talk about uh, the moment that would connect our present to someone else's past. Our present, not to the past of Christ, but we could do that too. And, 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 and that's not a bad place to go, because you, you've heard, if you've listened to me talk, and, and I talked about this during the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart, the month of June, I drew upon the writing of Pope Pius XI on the Sacred Heart when he reflected on Jesus' agony in the garden, and how it wasn't only that he was connected to our lives through the darkness and the, and the agony that he underwent in the garden, but he also could be connected to our love. He can be connected to our love, not only our sin, not only the brokennesses that we introduced into his life, he could also be brought into contact with consoling aspects of our lives. 
And Pope Pius XI said it this way, that we can be like the consoling angel that the Father sent to console Jesus in the garden when he was undergoing his agony. And he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And that we can be joined in the work of the angel by how we love him and express our love for Jesus as he undergoes his agony. Holy moly. You can be loving Jesus as he undergoes his agony on the cross. So says Pope Pius XI. I'm going to continue this line in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So I'm reflecting on the important work of joy, uh, uh, that we have as members of the body of Christ to share in Christ's work of bringing about the redemption of the world. Did you ever think about that? Like there are many things that you do with your life, but if you're, if you're living your life in union with Jesus Christ, it's a union with Christ in his life, but also in his work of redemption manifested through his passion and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. That work, that was the work he came to do, and he draws us into that same work. Go and uh, bring the gospel, right? Uh, go and uh, preach the gospel to all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., in, in the end of Matthew t- chapter 28, 19 to 21. So, this work is is our work, and we think about this work by uh, associating ourselves in the present with those that are in the present. Just before the break, I was saying how Pope Pius XI connected us backwards into the life of Jesus, because again, God is outside of time, so God can see the prayers we prayed, the love that we gave to Jesus back in the garden. He, he saw that as a present act uh, outside of time, he can see our prayers, our love, our concern for Jesus expressed 2,000 years later and can bring that to bear into the consoling work of the angel that Jesus is, uh, that Jesus experiences while he's in the garden, which, again, it just kind of blows the mind. Okay, now let's take it another step. And this is a step that we can lean on uh, some doctors of the church, St. John Chrysostom, St. Gertrude the Great, right, that amazing Benedictine nun, one of the, I think, the only woman who's called great. There are several uh, popes called great, three popes called great, um, but the, the only woman that is called great in the history of the church, as far as I know, I don't think there's any other, is St. Gertrude the Great, a Benedictine nun, uh, 13th century, and also a mystic, had these mystical encounters with, in particular, Jesus Christ, but souls in purgatory, souls that were suffering. So she had this incredible devotion to the souls that were undergoing the church, the church suffering, the, the souls that had died, not fully yet purified and prepared for heaven, and so undergoing the sufferings of purgatory to be purged, cleansed, purified, before entering heavenly glory. Okay. In If you take a look at uh, a couple of writings of St. John Chrysostom and stories in the life of St. Gertrude, what you'll discover is this. There's this incredible sense of the extent of hope, the, the, uh, the magnanimity of hope, just how great-souled hope can be when you realize how merciful God is, how God loved enough to create the world and loves so perfectly, infinitely, those whom he has created, his devotion to, his passionate pursuit of, his radical care for, his tremendous mercy is all manifest in Jesus Christ. That's how much he desires to rescue souls who have fallen away and who are now stuck, those who are part of a broken world and those who have become broken further through their spiritual dark, through the, the spiritual evil of sin that now clings to their lives. And the Lord is passionately pursuing us because he, he, his goal for us, the purpose for which he created us, was union with him forever in heaven. And it is more frequently said today Things that I see on, on the internet, Facebook and YouTube in particular, that are like I, 
for me disconcerting. It's it's people who quote they they quote certain saints, uh, they quote certain passages that make it sound as if here's how I'll put it: God is really not that smart, not that good, or not that powerful. Because the great majority of souls end up in hell somehow in their own thinking. And so the idea that God created a world with billions of souls and that the, the vast majority of them are going to somehow end up in eternal torment, in eternal torment in hell, is, is mind-boggling to me. I, I cannot wrap my mind around that idea. And there seems to be a radical overemphasis on human freedom and on divine justice that is not sufficiently taking into account divine freedom, which is infinite, and divine mercy, which is inexhaustible. And... And somehow there seems to be this sense of saying, well, God's mercy and justice have to be like two, uh, two sides of, of a scale, and you've got to kind of weigh them out. And, um, and human freedom is such that if someone chooses to say no, well, that's the end of the story. They've chosen away from God. And it just, it leaves me baffled. It leaves me baffled that uh, it, it's just, it, it's said with such a sense of uh, disconnection from the ultimate state of the soul who ends up in hell, <laughs> eternally undergoing radical torment, terrifying suffering that literally has no end. And it's just, I'm like, you, you don't seem very concerned about that, <laughs> is, the, is, is the thing that I come away with, uh, versus reading other streams of our tradition other aspects of scripture and of the lives of saints and of things that have been revealed to doctors of the church that, that seem to have been glossed over or not appreciated, not, not sufficiently taken into account. And part of that has to do with the impact on our lives. So for instance, St. Gertrude the Great, one of the visions that she had was connected to a soul that was reported to her. She had a distraught family member come and say that her loved one had died and was a terrible human being, lived a, a life that was uh, apart from faith, rebelling and rejecting faith. And uh, as far as she could tell, this person had died uh, impenitent, an unrepentant sinner separated from God and the church. And she was distraught over the seeming from all intents and visible external uh, signs that this person was now undergoing the torments of hell. Well, St. Gertrude said, I'll pray for this soul. I'll start praying and, and, and went to the Lord and, and started to talk to the Lord about this. And so here's the dialogue that, uh, is, that comes to us that St. Gertrude uh, said to the Lord, Lord, you could have inspired me with the thought and granted me the grace to pray for this soul without being compelled to do so by tenderness or compassion, meaning from the, the relative that had come. Jesus answered, I take singular pleasure in the prayers addressed to me for the dead. When natural feeling is added to the goodwill, that renders them meritorious. And when both concur to give this work of mercy, all the plenitude and perfection it is capable of receiving. Now, what is that saying? It's saying that the Lord delights when you pray to him for those who have died. And, and you have not only the, this goodwill that you want them to, uh, to, to be preserved from unending torments in hell, but you also have a, a natural feeling for it, and that's what stirred in her after hearing the plight of this soul's condition from the loved one. And so 
Um, and so she, he's saying that when that comes together, when you have this sense of, no, Lord, as well as, I know it's a good work, that that combines together to give the work of mercy, the, the impact of mercy, uh, uh, a plenitude, an abundance, and a perfection that uh, will then be a come to bear on the soul that can then receive it, that is able to receive it. Okay, so at that point, St. Gertrude started to pray for this soul and became aware of, its, uh, of, this, uh, of his lamentable state. He appeared to her uh, deformed in a way that was like very, very uh, frightful, black as coal, resembling a body writhing with intense pain. Um, but there weren't any demons tormenting this soul. It was rather the sins of this person's life that were uh, bringing about the intense pain that he was experiencing. And, and then St. Gertrude says to the Lord, Lord, will you not be propitiated by my prayers and pardon this man? In other words, she's saying, I am here to intercede, to intervene through my prayers right now for the salvation, for the pardon, for the forgiveness, for your mercy to come to bear upon this man who's already died. He's already died in this terrible situation of spiritual darkness and torment. And I'm praying for him at a future point and I'm praying for mercy to be brought to bear on him before he died. Okay, are you getting this? This is, again, it's connecting a present moment to a previous moment in accord with this reality that God is outside of time. And Jesus says to her, I would, for love of you, have pity not only on this soul, but on a million others. Okay, did you hear that? I would, for love of you, have pity not only on this soul, but on a million others. Th that right there, that could be the motto that could move the church of today, members of the church today, you and me today, to begin to say, oh my goodness, not only can my work of evangelizing, of proclaiming the gospel to bring about redemption in this world have an impact on those who are alive right now, but I can have a spiritual impact on the ultimate condition of souls who have already died. Don't believe me. Listen to what Jesus says to St. Gertrude the Great. He says to her, Would you then will, would you then will, that I pardon him all his sins and that I deliver him from every sort of penalty? Big question. And what does St. Gertrude say? Perhaps this may not be in conformity with the requirements of your justice. Okay, that is often one of the conundrums, right? So one of the puzzles that we often face is, wait a minute, how does mercy and justice fit if you pray... St. Gertrude, somehow Jesus is going to forgive the sins of those who have died in a state of, of mortal sin? Wait a minute, how does that all work? What about the requirements of justice? Well, this is what Jesus says back. It would not be inconsistent with the requirements of my justice if you were to ask me for it with confidence. For my divine light piercing into the future, made known to me that you would offer this prayer for him. Therefore, I placed good dispositions in his heart to prepare him for the enjoyment of the fruits of your charity. Whoa! There it is. That's the link between justice and mercy, right there. Let me say that again. Because reading that, that's a game changer. I should say it's a game changer for me, but it could be a game changer for you too. It could be a game changer for how we look at the role of the church today in the world. And I'll tell you how in just a minute. 
Jesus says it it would not be inconsistent with the requirements of my justice, of divine justice. It wouldn't be inconsistent with the requirements of divine justice if you, St. Gertrude, if you, saints of God today, me and you, were to ask Jesus for this pardon of all his sins and deliverance from every sort of penalty, if we were to ask Jesus for it with confidence. For my divine light, piercing into the future, made known to me that you would offer this prayer for him. Remember, there it is. Jesus, the Lord God, is outside of time, and he sees this soul approaching death, and approaching death in a state of mortal sin. And the Lord sees that this person arrives at death not having repented, not having been reconciled to the church in any kind of visible outward way that says a priest has come and he has said, I repent, forgive me my sins, hear my confession, anoint me with, uh, with the anointing of the sick so I might be prepared to enter my heavenly home in a state of grace. That's not the end of the story. The Lord is saying, I see all of time and I see in the future prayers offered for this soul, prayers offered to this soul that approach me with confidence, approach me with generosity, approach me with a sense of, 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 uh, of, of, of great hope that, Lord, you can show mercy to the world. Lord, you who won the salvation of the world, bring that mercy to bear on this soul's life. The Lord sees that prayer. Welcome back to Sunset. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm reflecting on, well, gosh, a lot. Mercy, salvation, and your life. Just what that might mean for your call. The call that you have to live a life of faith today. That I just hear him quoting a story from St. Gertrude the Great, who had this incredible mission to be praying for souls in purgatory, but even extending beyond that, praying for mercy in the moment of death. Mercy in that lightning strike moment of the moment of death. That the Lord, who sees all of time, sees future prayers prayed for someone for their moment of their death, who from a human standpoint had not converted but praying that mercy would reach them, praying that the grace of redemption would break in and intervene as an event at the moment of their death. And St. Gertrude said, therefore, I placed good dispositions in his heart, the heart of this darkened soul writhing in pain and suffering, to prepare him for the enjoyment of the fruits of your Charity of your, again, theological virtue of charity. That, that You think of charity, you think of making a donation. How about making a donation of prayers? Prayed. Like we, we, have, we definitely have in our tradition, and if you prayed for the souls in purgatory, you'll often pray for what? For those who have none to pray for them, right? Um, and, and this, for me, c- connects into uh, Our Lady of Fatima, who said that there were souls that were falling towards hell like snowflakes because there were none there were, there were uh, none who were praying for them. And that has stirred in me such a devotion to pray for those who are going to die during this hour. And so instead of praying for those that have none to pray for them in purgatory, pray for those that are on earth that have none to pray for them that are approaching the hour of their death. Start doing that. And you know what it'll do? It'll give rise to a new light in your mind, a new way of seeing the importance of the moment of death, a new way of, of, of appreciating, of carrying a sense of value and importance to the idea of what's at stake, that there is something at stake in particular moments that have consequences. And if we respond well, if we respond in accord with what's at stake in that moment, then a good can result. And if we don't, then something, uh, the consequences can be uh, ongoing and, and serious. I think about this in two very painful ways in my own life. 
uh, I, you've heard me mention about my physical ailments with my calf muscle because of one dumb decision of playing uh, uh, flag football on a freezing cold uh, November Thanksgiving morning three years ago. And I pulled my muscle, which because I played in a dumb way, I didn't warm up, blah, blah, blah. But even after that, not properly responding to what was showing up in my body, which was a tremendously painful calf muscle, that uh, only now, two and a half years later, did I start getting physical therapy for it. You're saying, Tom, you're not very smart. <laughs> you know theology, but you're not very smart at uh, making good human decisions. Well, what are we saying? I let something go, and I wasn't attending to it, and as a result, there were impacts on my own life. I didn't realize what was at stake in it at the time, but that doesn't mean that the consequences wouldn't follow forth. Um, and then my concussion, same thing. It was a really dumb thing that I did that I ended up getting the concussion, and then if I don't take proper care of my concussion and, and recognizing what's at stake when I put myself into different situations, then I'll end up in a bad way. And so uh, I, I put that before you to say that can also play a part in our spiritual lives. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, that the church will make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, what's, what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Well, in Christ, nothing. Christ underwent uh, suffering in a perfect mode to bring about the salvation of the world. What's lacking is the members of his body, the body of Christ, allowing ourselves to be joined into his work of suffering, his work of redemption through suffering. I'm focused on suffering here for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this. St. John Paul II, in his uh, papal letter on the mystery of human suffering, says this. He says that as much as we participate in the work of redemption by what we preach and by the things we do, We participate in the work of salvation most perfectly by what we suffer. That is a mystery all by itself. When you think about saying, Lord, I want to be useful to you. I want to bear fruit for you in my life. Lord, I want to be used by you to bring about redemption in this world. Redemption means this. I want people, Lord, to be with you forever in heaven. Lord, I want people to be with you in a union of life and love that comes about through Jesus Christ. God, I want people to know that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, I want people to commune with you in the sacraments, in the life of the Catholic Church. Lord, I want people to, to, to come to faith, to grow in faith, to live in faith. Lord, I want your kingdom to come. That's what I want with my life. That's what I want. I do. I want that more than anything else. That's what I want. And I know that I'll, I'll do that by becoming a saint. That means growing in holiness. That means growing in union with Christ and fulfilling the God-given mission that is mine. Okay, and, and at the highest level, it's what? It's to proclaim the gospel. It's to help bring the kingdom of God here on earth. It's to bring about this salvation that Christ won to bear in this world today. Okay, all of that said, all that wonderful theological language, it's all correct. It's all correct. The, to stop and say the reality is that we do this most fully, perfectly, most fruitfully by what we undergo, by what we suffer, is a very mysterious point. And so, first of all, I want you to say this. You often think about, I'm going to help bring about the gospel by being strong, by leveraging my strengths, those things that I'm good at. I'll bring those gifts to bear for the sake of the proclamation of the kingdom. And, and that's where I'm going to help the Lord and bear fruit for his kingdom. And you will. Th th that's very true. But to stop and say, yeah, but the, the, the times that are difficult, the turbulent times, the trials, the difficulties, the problems, the brokennesses, the sufferings, those are even more fruitfully used by God. Pretty stunning. That is pretty stunning stuff. 
worth paying attention to. Okay, now, let's link that to this other point that I've been making, which is there are souls that you may become connected to in your life that the Lord brought you into connection with them in order for you to pray for their salvation. Whoa, wait a minute. This would be like a St. Gertrude the Great kind of prayer, right? The uh, St. Gertrude the Great kind of prayer would be, I don't know this person's condition or situation at the moment that they died. It didn't seem as if they were people of faith, but I feel connected to them now. Just like St. Gertrude the Great was connected to this particular fellow because uh, one, of her, one of his family members came to her distraught, and now all of a sudden she had this connection to him. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, Lord, are you connecting me to souls that I'm supposed to pray for? That I'm supposed to pray for their salvation? I'm supposed to pray for their salvation that before they die, that they will be connected to me. I, I will be connected to them through my prayers. I'm a member of the body of Christ. And, and God can see those prayers now for their past the, the, for the past action of them dying. And it's like, wait a minute, what a powerful, amazing thought. Now, you pray for souls in purgatory, you know they're alive, but how about praying for souls that have died, in particular souls that have died in particularly dark, broken circumstances and situations? How about start with your family members? Any members of your family that died unexpectedly, that died in a situation that you don't have great confidence that they were right with God, pray for their salvation right now. Pray for their salvation. Not like, oh, darn it, it's too late. No, it's not too late. Not in the eyes of God. You can grab the spirit of St. Gertrude and have great hope and confidence that one of the things the Lord was taking into account in that person's life at the moment of their death was your prayers for that soul right now. So I have a few souls coming to mind that are connected to me in my life in very interesting ways, I'm going to begin to pray for them intentionally. I'm going to begin to pray for them very specifically. And I'm going to see if there's anything that shows up, if there's any new sense I get that could be a confirmation that I'm on the right track. All I know is that praying in this way changes how I've seen God, changes how I see God's mercy changes my sense of hope. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So uh, I'm putting forward here what you might just think is Tom's theory. I mentioned St. Gertrude the Great, uh, and I'm quoting from her mystical interactions with Christ. Um, let's go to some writings that uh, were said publicly by another doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom. And so um, during um, one of his homilies, someone interrupted him and said, I am mourning a dear deceased loved one because he died a sinner. And um, St. John Chrysostom responds to this. And um, he uh, just let me just read it because it'll give you a sense of hopefully what he, he says it much more concisely <laughs> than I'm bringing out the theology of it. He says, uh, mourning for a dear deceased one that died a sinner. He said, Is, isn't this a vain pretext to, to presume he died a sinner? For if such be the cause of your tears, why did you not make more effort to convert him while he lived? And if he really died a sinner... Ought you not to rejoice that he can now no more increase the number of his sins? Now you must, in the first place, go to his help as far as you're able, not with tears, but with prayers, supplications, alms, and sacrifices. All these things are not indeed idle inventions. It is not without necessity that in the divine mysteries we commemorate the dead. It is not fruitlessly that we approach the altar with prayers for them to the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. But by these means is consolation showered upon their souls. If Job could purify his children by offering sacrifice for them, 
how much more must he, whom we offer up for our dead, give them relief? Is it not one of God's ways to do good to some out of regard for others? Let us then show ourselves eager to aid our dear deceased and earnestly and perseveringly pray for them. The Mass is a general expiation by which all may profit. In the Mass, therefore, we pray for the whole universe, and we mention the dead with the martyrs, confessors, and priests of the Church. For we are all one body, though some members are more illustrious than others. It may be, listen now, it may be that we can even obtain for our deceased a complete pardon through the prayers and merits offered for them by those in whose company they are named. Why then are you still in such grief? Why this despondency, these lamentations? May not so great a grace be obtained for him whom you have lost. I just think that's so beautiful. I just, I love that, that this beautiful idea that um, we can pray for those that have died in what appeared to be a broken, dark circumstance now that the moment of their death can be a moment of divine intervention breaking in to bring mercy. But that divine intervention and mercy is connected to our willingness to pray, sacrifice, and suffer on behalf of those souls. And, and you know, that's where my thinking has been. I'm still wrestling with this idea that Colossians 1, 23, 24, that it may be the sufferings of the church militant, the church here on earth, we may have to undergo a tremendous passion, a tremendous joining with Christ in his passion, precisely to break open saving graces, saving interventions in the souls of those who were about to meet the Lord after death and face a judgment that would condemn them to hell. The mystery of hope is can we dare to hope that God would hear, hear the cries, the confident cries, the generous cries, the generous acts of prayers and supplications and sufferings and sacrifices, the acts of reparation, our, our uh, profound uh, vigilance before him crying out, save poor sinners at the moment of death. Not only those who are about to die, those who are dying in this next hour while we're praying, but for those who have already died, seemingly outside of your mercy. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, use the church in history to bring about redemption for souls who died in what appeared to be lost conditions. Wow. Checkmate. God God is so big. God is so big. His mercy, his love is so infinite, inexhaustible. Inexhaustible is is a, a beautiful way of saying it. That the Lord is, uh, he's not so powerless as we think. He's not so indifferent as sometimes we imagine with certain theological theories. Uh, he's he, unmoved and unmoving and somehow powerless on the sidelines as someone who would uh, emphasize human choice and, and limited human freedom, broken human freedom, um, alongside infinite divine freedom, the freedom of God. One beautiful way of saying it is a person who through their lives and at the moment of their death would choose to definitively reject God and choose for themselves hell, right? To choose to exclude themselves from the life of heaven by the lives that they've lived and now would choose at the moment of their death to exercise a permanent uh, refusal does God, here it is, does God have to accept their attempts to make a definitive refusal of his offer? Does God have to accept that as decisive 
and as complete? Or does the Lord in his infinite freedom have the freedom to continue to outlast their decision to refuse him? That he refuses to have that final moment of refusal to be the final act that they, that they commit. That's what I've been pondering. That's what I've been praying through. That's what I've been uh, living into. Living into. The more that I've pondered what's at stake in human life, the more that I've pondered and come to experience God's love and God's mercy, the more that I have uh, realized uh, that this reality of what hell is, the more that I just cry out, um, God, just save poor sinners who have lived, who are alive, and who will to come. And use the church today, use our lives, use our moment, our such brief moment, on the platform of human history. Let's just use it for your glory. Use it for salvation. Just, just take our lives, Lord, and use it so that you would be glorified. Uh, that's what I want. I'm saying, I, I think I'm going to, I think. I'm feeling uh, called to draw closer to St. Gertrude the Great. Maybe a better way of saying it is to say that, to, that St. Gertrude the Great is being offered to me to be a intercessor, uh, to, uh, if you will, to, to, to get to know her better and to draw upon her um, intercessory solidarity. Uh, St. Gertrude, pray for me. Pray for those who are listening. Pray for us. Pray for our loved ones from heaven who have died, uh, who, who have approached that final moment of their lives impenitent. And I do pray for their salvation. I pray for that lightning strike of divine intervention, that, Lord, you'd exercise your infinite freedom. You'd exercise your inexhaustible mercy. You'd exercise your uh, amazing love to intervene through our prayers today and here and now for our loved ones who died back then. I, I pray for all of those in my family tree that go back uh, through the hundreds and thousands of years. Every member of my family tree who was in a condition that was far from you as they came to death, expected or unexpected. I pray for their salvation. I pray for divine intervention of mercy. Lord, you are that big. Your shocking generosity is that amazing. Thank you, Lord. I offer my life for that. In union with yours, Jesus. This is about you, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, there you go. That's where we went today with the program. It, it just really flowed from just some things that were, were happening in the past week reflecting on the idea of an event and an encounter. And um, and this is just sort of where my prayer and my thought has gone. And I, honestly, I've been, I've been trying to find a way to formulate it, uh, to share some of these reflections with you all. Um, tomorrow I'm going to, um, I've got some other, well, we'll wait and see what tomorrow is. I have some thoughts in mind, but who knows? A lot can happen between today and tomorrow. All right. God bless your day. It's a thrill to be with you all. Go to MyCatholicFaith.org. If you like this program, you want to hear it again, sign up for uh, Dr. Tom Curran podcast on Apple Podcasts. God bless your day.